Like all of a sudden, we're, we're learning about his ministry, we're learning about his relationships, we're seeing his conflicts that he is having, not just with his disciples, but with the Jewish council. Then all of a sudden, everything comes to a halt. And I got very emotional when I went over this message, and, and I thought about it because the way we're aligning this series, that today we're talking about the crucifixion, and the, the challenge in this is, we've, we've talked about all the highs and lows of Jesus' ministry, but now it comes to this climax. And as much as it's a surprise for me as I'm going through the story, who knows this was no surprise for God. This was no surprise for God, and God knows our corrupt nature, so if, if we were just a man or woman living in the day and age where Jesus was here and we didn't know any better, better and we were walking the streets at that time, we would see Jesus carrying his cross up to Golgotha and think, that's just another man. That's just another man on another day who's done wrong, who's going up to that hill. You know, one of my favorite movies, this is a crazy transition, but one of my favorite movies when it's on TV is The Shawshank Redemption. And there, there's a line that sticks with me when they're like, well, it's, it's a movie about some guys in prison and says, well, what are you in for? He says, well, I didn't do it. Don't you know everyone in here didn't do it? Well, the thing is we know about Jesus Christ. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. He, he carried our sins. We're all guilty, and he's the one that went to that cross for our sake. So as we're in John chapter 19 today, what I want us to look at in this scripture is seeing that Jesus was no ordinary man. In fact, in this scripture, we can prove he fulfilled prophecy. Amen? And there are many things, and we're going to point out four specific things today that show he is no ordinary man. So we're going to be starting actually in John chapter 18 at the very end, and then we're going to be bouncing throughout chapter 19. You'll just have to follow me, and we're going to do it all in sequential order here. So let's go ahead and begin. We're in John 18, 38 through 40, and then we're going to skip right into 19. You might remember last week, Pilate had Jesus standing before the crowd, and he saw him as not guilty. And then we're in John 18, 38. It says, Pilate asked, what is truth? Then he went out again to the people and told them, he is not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. Going on to verse 1 of chapter 19. It says, Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a leaded-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked, as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here is the man. 
When they saw him, the leading priest and temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him. Pilate said, I find him not guilty. Skipping down to verse 16. It says, then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called Place of the Skull. In Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Verse 23 when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Verse 28. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put on a hyssop branch, and they held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Verse 38. Afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and olive. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Let's pray. Lord, we are not worthy. God, we are not worthy of so great a sacrifice and salvation. But God, I pray there is a solemnness of spirit today in understanding that sacrifice and what it took. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to look over the life of Christ here on the earth and ask how many prophecies there are concerning the coming Messiah and his earthly ministry, the answer is around 330. In fact, there's, there's one scholar that believes there's 430. And we know that Jesus fulfilled every one. There's a mathematician named Peter Stoner. He calculated the mathematical probability of just the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. 
He just wanted to teach his students a lesson, so they, they calculated the, the probability based on population, based on where else he could come from, and the answer they found was the chances of the, the Messiah coming from Bethlehem at that time was one in 300,000. And so they decide to go further, and, and what he did was he wanted to see what is the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies, just eight. And together, his class and him came to the conclusion it was 10 to the 17th power, or 100 million billion. That's a one with 17 zeros. So he encouraged his class, let's go a little bit further and let's see what the probability is if he fulfilled 48 prophecies. It was 10 to the 157th power. That contains 157 zeros. At that point, he said, you know what? Case dismissed. We don't need to go any further. There is no need for us to go over all 330 prophecies because it is such a slim chance that it is no longer worth calculating. Either it is impossible to fulfill them all or Jesus Christ is God's divine answer. So we see in our reading today, there are four clues to Jesus' death not being ordinary, not being like any other man or woman. And the first indicator was his clothes, the clothes that he had there. You see, as Jesus was there and the soldiers mocked him, they mocked him from the very point that Pilate turned him over to them, that they started beating him. And it's described that he was barely recognizable as a man. And some of the mockery that went on, it's better described in the other Gospels. But imagine being made fun of. Just put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a minute. Imagine being made fun of while dying. It points to the depravity of the human heart. Then right after they crucify him, right after they put him up on that cross, they are started fighting over who gets his clothes. And this was in display of everyone to see because John didn't leave the side of the cross, the foot of the cross. So John is seeing all this take place. And instead of them tearing it apart and everyone getting a piece, they played a game as three men are there dying. They played a game of dice to determine the winner. There was two items of clothing there. It was Jesus' cloak and then his tunic. For those who don't know, a tunic is a close-fitting garment, much like a shirt, but would go down much further to knee length. The outer garment was large and could be divided up. And unbeknownst to them, they fulfilled Scripture. It says in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, David says, they divided my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. And there the Savior of the world was mocked to an open shame. He's stripped of his clothes, completely naked on a cross. Isaiah 52 describes the Messiah's beating as not being recognizable as a man. And when he chose to become sin for us, this is the reward of sin. I want to say that again. When he chose to become sin for us, this is the reward of sin. Naked, dying to an open shame. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. 
It wasn't by his own sin, but by my sin and yours. And notice here, this is something that I want us to think about as we're going through this. God's planning and purpose through that went even into this moment. I don't understand, but I can tell you God is good. He is good, because I don't have to go through that. The second thing that we can look to that he was no ordinary man was the bones. As Jesus was hanging up there on the cross, he shouted, it is finished, and then gave up his spirit, the scriptures said. And up to that point, I want you to think about this, he had fulfilled every command the Father gave him. Every single command he fulfilled, there was truly nothing else for him to live for here on earth. He voluntarily died. And this shout was not one, I want you to catch this, this shout was not one of exhaustion because of what he had been through. This shout, it is finished, was one of completion for you and I. He gave people witness to who God the Father was. Everything he taught and instructed had been passed down to us. This was accomplished out of Jesus Christ's obedience to God. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He took the sins of mankind on that cross. And even the soldiers who mocked them were recipients of that grace. Jesus gave up his spirit, and I think we can interpret that as then he died. And so it was the day before the Sabbath. It was a Friday. They celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday. And the Sabbath actually begins on Friday evening. And bodies could not hang on the cross for the Sabbath. So they needed to be dead. So it was important they died on the same day and that they were taken down. And in order for those crucified to die faster, what they would do is they would, they would take a, a big, like, think about it as a, as a hammer, a long hammer, and they would break the legs of those who were hanging on the cross so that they could not hold themselves up anymore and that it would cause them to collapse and they wouldn't be able to breathe. When God saved the children of Israel from Egypt, the very last plague, which became known as the Passover, was that God was going through the land and he was going to kill every firstborn male. And the only way to escape that was to kill a lamb without breaking its bones. These lambs could not be of any defect. And then what they would do is when they would sacrifice that lamb, they would take the blood and they would paint it on the, on the doorpost and on the lintel above the door. When God saw the blood, his spirit would pass over that home, sparing the firstborn male from death. Jesus was crucified on the day of Passover. Even though this isn't exactly prophetical fulfillment, I, I, I want you to see, do you see the correlation there of the blood of Jesus Christ being shed as the sacrificial lamb that our lives are now spared by his blood? So when you ask for Jesus Christ to come in your life, when you accept his death, 
You are accepting that he took your sins on the cross and that blood that was shed, it is being poured out over you so that God looks upon you and has his grace. The third proof that Jesus was no ordinary man was the piercing. To make sure Jesus was already dead because they didn't, they saw he appeared dead and didn't have to break his bones, they used the tip of their spear and pierced Jesus' side. At that moment, John describes, because he saw it, he saw blood and water flowed out. The significance of that is, is this. Had he been living, it would have only been blood. And so here, the prophecy is fulfilled. I want to read for you Zechariah 12.10. It says, Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as only a son. They will grieve bitterly for him as a firstborn son who has died. Then Isaiah 53.5. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. This is yet another unmistakable fulfillment of Scripture. And so it describes this blood and water flowing. And I've, I've been fascinated both in Scripture about those two things, blood and water, and what they represent. And there's a lot of significance in Scripture. For those who don't know, blood represents life. And God has always required the shedding of blood as a, the payment for sin. The problem is that if you look at the Old Testament, the shedding of blood, it never brought forgiveness for intentional sin. It couldn't. Because there was no perfect sacrifice that existed. You can see that in Leviticus chapter 20, Numbers chapter 15, Leviticus 10, 1 through 2, 1 Samuel 28. So to bring true remission of sins, it would take that perfect lamb. And so what Jesus' blood does, it brings purification to our lives. I want to read for you Hebrews 9.22. Listen to what Hebrews 9.22 says about blood. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You see, blood purifies us, but then what happens is it is the water that washes over us that brings a cleansing to our lives. I want you to listen to Zechariah 13.1. It says, in that day a fountain, everyone say fountain. In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Church, that is you. That is you. Listen to Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. It says, husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse. Everyone say cleanse. That he might cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. 
that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. You can stand here free men and women today because of that blood and water that has flowed out from Jesus Christ and that blood that still pours out on you today and that water that pours out on you today because of the word of God. Can you give Jesus Christ a round of applause, church? So here's the thing, you can be forgiven by accepting the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ over your life. Claim that blood was shed to purify you. But as you walk in the Lord, it is the washing of the word daily in your life that you need. It cleanses us. Church, listen to me. It cleanses us. It helps us walk rightly. And I'm telling you, we need both. You can't come to church and say, I found Jesus today, and then leave here and go on about your life and never open up the word of God, because guess what? You will be led astray. You will be led astray. You need the word of God in your life daily, that washing of the word to continue to bring cleansing to you. Are you hearing me? Number four, the grave. I want to look at the men associated with this grave first. Joseph of Arimathea. He was a rich member of the Jewish council. He had not agreed with the Jewish council's decision and he had been following Jesus Christ secretly. He was mentioned in Luke as being good and just, a good and just man in Luke chapter 23, verse 50. So what he felt was he was in this compromising position. He wanted to do what he felt was right by Jesus. To me, what it seems like is if, uh, you know, guys that get into the super high levels of the cult and then can't escape it. Then you have Nicodemus. You know, we've discussed Nicodemus before, early on in our series. He was a member of the Jewish council. And at last, Nicodemus had identified himself with Jesus Christ. And what it says was that Nicodemus brought a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes. A hundred pounds. So what he intended to do, he bought enough spices that he was going to cover the entire body of Jesus Christ from foot to head. It was a sign of love and respect. This too was a fulfillment of prophecy. I want you to listen to Isaiah 53, 9. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus Christ was placed in a rich man's grave. Even in death, this displays, I want you to catch this, even in death, this displays the sovereignty of God. We see the sovereignty of God through each and every step. God foreknew this, and he foretold it on the earth thousands of years before Jesus Christ ever came. And as there always will be, there was sorrow that accompanied his death. The disciples, 
Jesus' mother Mary, they were distraught. And it didn't matter beforehand what Jesus had said about him dying. They believed he was the son of God and that wasn't supposed to happen. So they never really accepted up to that point. But God had purpose even in his son's death. And I don't know about you, but for me it's a very solemn thing that that God would have to send his innocent son to die for you and I who were in Shawshank prison. We are guilty. We're there for a reason. But in Christ's death, there's nothing to be proud of but Christ alone. And it reminds me that I am a sinner and my choices put him there and it becomes a choice. Now am I going to honor him with my life or am I going to continue my life giving him a reason to remain up there. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. It says, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. You can obtain freedom today through Jesus Christ. Everything that you have ever done, everything that you've ever done can be washed away by the purification of his blood. And then daily, you can be cleansed by the washing of the word over you every day. You know, I walk into this place sometimes with a lot of guilt. Guilt over what I've done. Guilt over my past. But every time I go to God, He doesn't remember it. Because of His choice to not remember it. Because He says, no, Aaron, My son's blood covered that. His blood covered that. I don't remember that anymore. But it takes us a while to get to that point where freedom can truly reign. And I know that for you and I, what we have to do is that if we have present sin in our lives, we have to walk in repentance. And in order to walk in repentance means that you recognize you have sinned and you recognize you shouldn't do it anymore and you are sorrowful for what you've done and you realize that Jesus Christ taking your sins on the cross was something they did not deserve. You see, we deserved it, but he took it. So that God, when he passes over you, he sees someone who is purified by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Church, that's what I claim today. 
That's what I want you to claim today. So I want you to bow your heads. And I want this to just be a moment between you and God. I don't care if this is your first time or your hundredth time. If you need to claim the blood of Jesus Christ over your life, if you choose to walk in repentance and you choose to cleanse yourself daily with the Word, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. It's not as bold as taking the sins of mankind on the cross. But it's bold in its own right. It's not letting sin hide anymore. It's choosing to out yourself that you, like me, are a sinner in desperate need of Jesus Christ. I am asking you if you want to make that choice and stand to say, I choose Jesus' blood to cover my sins today. Stand to your feet. Praise God. Praise God. And you know what? When we think about what he suffered and died, that no innocent man should deserve. Remember that he did that for you. He didn't do it from the person standing across the room from you. He did it for you. That you might walk in freedom. That you might walk in new life. You do not have to be tied to your past anymore. You have a new future because of Jesus Christ. And that is what we're doing. We are claiming that new future today. Who wants to claim a new future in Jesus? Say amen. Let's raise our hands to God. Heavenly Father, Lord, you see all those that are standing here today. And God, standing with me, recognizing that, Lord, we are sinners. God, we have fallen short of your glory. God, we need your son's blood to cover us. And so we recognize that God, as that spear pierced his side and that blood and water flowed, that blood and water was poured out for us. God, it covered that ground for us. And Lord, it covers us today. And we claim that in Jesus' name that we might go to you because of him. God, it says so clearly in your word that we have no access to you but through your son, Jesus. And so God, we say pour it out upon us today. Lord, make us a new creation in you today. And Lord, it is by his blood that we are purified and made new. And so Lord, what I am proclaiming over this body is that as they leave here today, that there are, are new men and women leaving here. They say, the old is gone. I put that man up on the cross. He's not with me anymore. And I'm walking in new life. And Lord, I pray that God, as we draw unto you, Lord, we will sense the cleansing that your word brings as we let it pour out over us. And God, I pray that today 
only free men and women leave this place. I thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name, everyone give the Lord a hand clap of praise. It's because of him that we're here today. It's because of him we can walk in freedom.